Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now, your host, Bela Sebraff on The Definitive Rap. Hello, and welcome to The Definitive Rap. I am Bela Sebraff. Thank you to Vin News for hosting our show. The focus of our segment today is in the words of the Queen of England, who in response to a request for life advice, she commented, If I had to give only one piece of advice, it would be to invest in human connections. There is nothing more important in life than connecting with other people. And I think the last year or so has made that very clear. The Queen was referring to the pandemic where all humanity was witness to the importance of human connection that has previously been taken for granted. Our guest today lives by that motto, and it shows by the way he lives his life and how it reflects his life's work. Rabbi David Cohn is an internationally renowned motivational speaker, spiritual leader, life coach, entrepreneur, and author. His empathetic approach has empowered many individuals to achieve success in all aspects of life. His teachings are firmly rooted in Torah knowledge mixed together with contemporary thinking. His listening skills and ability to understand his counterparts in diverse situations is admired and his expertise is often marshaled in complex situations. In fact, he has been referred to as the Renaissance Rabbi. Rabbi Cohen, it gives me great honor to welcome you to the Definitive Rap. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for all the great work that you do for the Jewish people. And my mother is really going to love this introduction, I have to say. Right. Before before we get to talking about your awesome books, uh, that is required reading for everyone. I have heard you speak, and I have read your books. You truly get people. You really get them. My question is, is that in previous generations before us, who endured so many challenges, yet they were able to pick up the shredded pieces of their lives, move on, and build what we have today. Yet nowadays, people go into a panic if they break a fingernail. I kid you not. It actually ruins their day. Why are people so emotionally weak today? Well, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a power-packed question. I, I don't like to, you know, I, I don't love to, like, characterize anybody as emotionally weak or, uh, you know, I hear the question. You know, I, I want to be careful in Thank terms you. of how I mean, I just refer to it that way, you know, because I, I get calls no, no, from people and they tell me, oh, you wouldn't believe what happened today. And then I'm thinking, well, look, we live in a, oh, what our live, grandparents have done, you know? Right. In contrast to previous generations, we live a very coddled life, right? We live uh, very comfortably. We, you know, we have so many uh, resources. We take so much for granted. You know, we can almost call it we're a spoiled generation. And I don't mean that like in a, you know, in a critical way. Hashem has blessed us for whatever reason to be living in uh, what they call the Goldena Medina, like in America, land of the the free and the home of the brave. And we can practice our religion freely. And uh, there's a lot of affluence in in the Jewish community. So, you know, it's apples and oranges, you know, when you compare different, you know, generations. But I will make this point. When I was doing my my training from my master's in, in, in counseling. So one of our professors made the following uh, point that I found to be extraordinary. 
he was contrasting that in his therapeutic practice, he had back-to-back patients. One patient had a terminal illness and had six months to live. And another patient had had lost a half a million dollars or no, was making a half a million dollars a year, but was was distraught because his brother was making multiple millions of dollars a year. He was sharing this contrast and saying that, you know, it seems silly, like the guy who is making a half a million dollars a year is actually in a worse psychological position or emotional position than the person with the terminal illness. And his, and his inclination was to kind of shake up the guy who has, who has it so good, but he shared with us therapists in training that that's not the way to look at things. You have to be empathic and you have to understand each person, and it's very possible that somebody who is making a half a million dollars a year, the pain that he or she is suffering from the contrast to others could actually be worse than a person who has terminal illness. Now, that sounds bizarre to us. If you would ask anybody which is worse, of course, we'd all say having terminal illness is worse. But the key to the job of a successful empathic listener and a therapist and a coach or whatever title you want to give it is to understand that person where they are. So I think to effectively deal deal with the challenges that people in our generation have is to try to kind of remove from our psyche or our mind kind of what others have gone through, mm-hmm. right? There's a concept also, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to let you ask the next question in a second. But there's a concept also that you can be a, you know, there's a mitzvah sometimes to be a kofar. Sounds astounding, counterintuitive. There's a commandment from God that you should deny God. Yes, you should deny God when your friend needs something. When when you need something, you should say, God will help, God will help. When your friend comes to you and says, I need to borrow money, you shouldn't say, oh, God will help. You should roll up your sleeves and do what you can for somebody else. Yeah. When you have the problem, you should say to yourself, God will help. You should strengthen your emuna. So I know sometimes for myself, when I'm going through a hard time, I may remind myself of people at previous generations who had it so much harder to give myself context and to give myself a push to push through. But I know that when I'm dealing with someone else's anguish and pain, you know, I had somebody call me of emergency. They need to talk to me today and they need help with something like, so, you know, it's not my place to tell them, go to somebody else or, you know, others had it harder. That's not, that's not, that's not being effective in the role that I play I have, with that person. You have to be all in and, you know, and understand it. So my answer to your question in essence, you know, concisely is to say that, that the, the, the premise of the question is, is faulty in the sense that, the way to be effective with our generation is to acknowledge that the pain that they're suffering could be Holocaust-like for them, right? And that, I think, right. is uh, important right. to acknowledge. Wow. So it's relative. It's it's unbelievable. And, you know, what's also very interesting with jealousy is that people tend to be jealous of those that are close to them. It's like you gave the example of a brother. It's not about the other person. If you read about someone that's very wealthy, okay, they're very wealthy. You don't really pay that much attention to it. Maybe some people do, but in most cases not. But the pain of of the jealousy that's similar to terminal illness is more if someone close to that person has more than them or has it better than them. You know, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a sliding scale. You know, people people have different perspectives on jealousy. Like it's interesting. There's some people that, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really phase them what other people have. They're really, they really, they really understand that everything is from God and everybody has what they need to have to do their task, so on and so forth. 
but like we live in a world where you know you know if it's normal to see what other people have and if you lack it it can be painful especially if it's something that you covet or that you desire especially social media with all you know people yeah. post all kinds of uh things that half of them are probably not even as accurate as they appear but it makes those that don't have it feel feel horrible and it triggers them i will say that i know for myself even that there are days when i find myself sinking into the social media milieu and reading posts in different places. And I start to notice that I'm, you know, it's, it's affecting me in a negative way. And I, and I stop myself. I just, I get off it because it is very dangerous. We're all human at the end of the day. We're all trying to be matzliach and succeed in whatever realm we're working in. And if you're constantly seeing people that, you know, are claiming to kill it, you know, they're probably not, but, but it, you know, it, it affects you. So, so I, I think self-awareness is, is tremendous. And at the end of the day, you only control what's in your sphere of control and you do the best you can. And sure. it's good to know what's going on out there. Like, I don't, yes. I don't advocate like not being aware, but at the same time, like, you know, it's not helpful or healthy uh, to always be harping on other people. Everybody has their challenges. I doesn't matter how much wealth in particular a person has. I happened to have had a meeting last night with a very, very wealthy family. And they were confiding in me about some very difficult interpersonal challenges yeah. that they have. I said to my wife, I said, you know, maybe they don't have the financial challenges that we have, but they, they certainly have the other challenges. You know, so everybody has challenges. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody's yeah. absolved. For that. No one walks away from this world unscathed. That's for sure. Um, in your unless book, they short, unless they make a short trip here and that's not <laughs> desirable and that's not a desirable either. So that's, uh, well, we hope yeah. it's not a short trip here. Right. Um, in your book, we're almost there. Um, that has been described as an Orthodox Jewish version of a prairie home companion. I have to say, I've been Orthodox my entire life, but still I was so inspired by the lessons you impart. You so eloquently mix humor with halacha. You communicate how to live with patience, perseverance, and purpose while being tested. No one wants to be tested, but here we are. We go through life one test at a time and sometimes a few at a time. Please share with our audience, how can we live a Jewish life in the world today in midst of all dilemmas? Rabbi Cohn, we need that. We all need that inspiration. Yeah, no, it's hard. You know, Bailey, we know each other for a number of years. You know, we've we've each gone through our personal challenges. Uh, It's not a secret. You know, it's not easy. You know, we, we certainly would orchestrate things differently if we were, you know, we were talking offline about who's in control and who's not in control. You know, for me personally, in my story, and it's, uh, you know, some challenges are very obvious to all. Some challenges are more hidden and not everybody can see them, but doesn't mean that you're not experiencing challenges. Uh, And I've had both, you know, I've had challenges that I think, uh, you know, earlier on, uh, you're in the realm of you work in Shiduchim. I, for whatever reason, you know, took me, I've talked about other podcasts, it took me a decade to find my lovely wife. And I wasn't like, I mean, I was trying to find a wife and it wasn't going for whatever reason. Um, you know, not for this discussion, but I've talked about it in other contexts. And uh, that was an initial challenge. And then when I finally was blessed to get married, so my first child was born with a developmental disability, which was a shock and which was uh, frightening and which has defined a lot of the last you know 20 years of, of our family life. Uh, thankfully, we've been blessed with uh, with four other, you know, typical, more typical children. Um, but certainly like when you're confronted with challenge, so then you have to ask yourself, like, what is the purpose of life? And you know, was the dream I had of like, you know, uh, if, you know, I believe very much that, that, although it's painful sometimes, and although you, you have to, you fight it, but I do believe in my core that, that there's something called Hashkacha Pratis, that God 
is very much involved in each and every one of our individual life stories, right? He is the one that they call the puppeteer. He is the one who is arranging events. And even though I may have arranged it differently many, many times, many times, uh, he has a different plan and he sees and he knows better, right? It's the analogy I often use when uh, over the years, my children have had to get stitches and uh, I've had to hold them down so they can get the stitches and they're angry with me that like I'm causing them pain, but I'm really uh, helping them in the, in the bigger picture, but they can't see it as a young child. And we're all children and we can't really see what God sees and we don't understand. So that's something that, you know, when I've been confronted with challenges, uh, I've had to kind of work it through. Now, I will acknowledge that it's easier for some and harder for others, yeah. meaning that uh, God has blessed me with a certain innate Amuna Pshuta that came from my family that comes from wherever it comes from. So I'm not going to say it's been easy for me, Bechlal not, but it still may be easier than for other people who have these challenges. So again, it's, it, but it is a, it's a constant process of reminding ourselves, why are we here? What is the purpose? And if the purpose is just like God is a candy man, which I write about in the book, if I'm not mistaken, that was a book I published about five, six years ago, but the idea that uh, you know, God is just there to give me everything that I want. So that's kind of a very superficial childish viewpoint. And uh, there's a bigger picture and it's not about what I want. And that's an evolving process of learning how to how to struggle with that and and kind of give up control and relinquish control and go with what comes your way and see what can be gained even in challenging circumstances. There's beauty in everything, right? There's beauty. Uh, there's beauty in loss. There's beauty in... Uh, dealing with the atypical, there's beauty in everything, uh, but it takes it takes uh, more work to to see it and to experience it. But it's there. So I want to circle back to something you said that your Ramuna you feel comes from your upbringing. Is 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 that correct? I, what I mean by that, I, I didn't even. I, I don't mean not. I don't even mean like something that I heard in my house. I just mean like the way it's the way it's been. It's been imparted. It's a feeling. Her- without saying anything, without speaking. As children, we get messages from our parents too, and, and without yeah. without them saying anything. Not to take away. I mean, my grandparent, my grandfather was a was a prominent rav, and he certainly had an influence on me growing up. And I've spoken about that, you know, as well in different contexts. But I, I think just. Some people are very intellectual. Some people are very emotional. Some people are a hybrid of both. I like to see myself as a hybrid of intellect and emotion, but I think my emotional side tends to be stronger than my intellectual side. And I think that maybe makes me more open to experiencing things beyond the realm of the intellect at times. I know other people that, people in my family, uh, you know, I have extended family members who are brilliant but I know they have a much harder time uh, with faith and and with things that don't make Mm -hmm. sense because they're built a certain way. It's just, I think it, what I meant to say, not to take away my family also uh, entrenched me with great, uh, great uh, principles of faith and Amuna and Torah and Chesed. But what I'm saying is I think my emotional makeup, like the the way Hashem created me uh, gives me more of a spiritual bent. You know, some people have that, some people don't. It's just, so that's, you know, I have a lot of chesronas. I have a lot of things that I lack, but that's something that maybe I was blessed with. So how does someone deal with challenges in in terms of strengthening themselves or, you know, asking why obviously doesn't get answers, but how, because most people are dealing in our, in our audience, there's a whole, a whole 
whole load of different uh, uh, problems that people experience as challenges, test being tested. Right. So how does one deal with it when they just feel like, okay, that's it. I, I just can't do it anymore. Yeah, like everybody's unique and every situation's unique. And I don't, I don't, I try to stay away from giving, you know, these overarching panoramic, like a panacea to cure all. But, but that being said, like I, one, one idea or one you sowed that I think is applicable to many is the idea that I wrote about this once in Mishpacha magazine, the idea that, you know, time does heal. What the intellect uh, doesn't always accomplish, time can accomplish. I have a footnote in, in, in my first book that we're talking about where I tell a story. It's a great story, actually, about uh, a prominent Rav who was marrying uh, off a couple. It's a great story. This is a wonderful couple. They're happily married today. The, the, the young lady had been married to, had been dating this man she was getting married to, but that he couldn't commit. And then she broke up with him. She got married to somebody else, got divorced from that person after a number of years. And finally, like a decade later, came back to this original boyfriend and they got married and they're happily married today for many years with children. Wow. So under the chuppah, I was, at, I was blessed to be at the chuppah. I was here in the five towns. And the rabbi used that expression, meaning it took this young man, you know, he couldn't figure it out. A very yes. bright boy, he couldn't figure it out in his head to marry her in the quote unquote right time. So time heals. So, so in answer to your question, I think that time does uh, do wonders. I find as I get older, what I'm upset about smaller type things that used to maybe consume me for a few days or a week, I find by the next morning already, I can't even remember. That's true. So that, that comes with aging. But I think, I think, so I think when someone's going through a difficult time, I think they have to now. I'll give the caveat that there are levels of challenges, right? There's some challenges that are really lifelong challenges that, you know, that they're on a different level. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, there's, a, there was a tragedy close to my, where I grew up in West Hempstead just last week. Yeah. A wonderful young girl uh, in seminary was hit by a car and yeah. was instantaneously, you know, taken from us. So that type of challenge, as they said in the spade at the Levaya is, is really a lifelong challenge. And, what I'm going to say about that is is trite and, and irrelevant almost. But most other challenges that are, you know, that are for a time, you know, so I think we have to keep keep perspective that this is like, let's say somebody trying to get married, right? So, you know, we try to be optimistic and assuming that, you know, the person's done work on themselves and they're mukhshar, that they are an appropriate candidate to be a spouse, then it's a lot of emuna and a lot of tefillah and a lot of just networking and, and finding the person and going, doing the reps and right. yes. it takes time. It can take yes. time, but, but there's no reason to believe that it won't happen. Meaning so like, even though right now you are, again, you, somebody could be dating for 30 years and they haven't met. Like, again, these things, I understand every situation is unique, but I'm saying you're somebody who's in your twenties and you're a, a, a pretty typical person who's a pretty healthy, stable person and you haven't met yet. Right. There's no reason to believe that you, 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 I'm not saying it's not hard, but um, but there's no reason to believe that that's going to be your status for the rest of your life. So right. keeping that perspective, I think with a lot of challenges, it's a challenge right now. And then three years from now, God will solve that one and he'll give you the next one. That was my situation. Yes, God right? keeps us busy. I, that's for sure. I, yes. Yeah, it was my situation. I literally, I remember right. I, I called Ramosha Weinberger, who was, uh, was to this day a Rebbe of mine and very close with him. And I remember calling him after my son Yadidu was born and I remember he cried because he was like, he just felt after everything I went through mm. to find the shidduch, that that's what, ha that's what should happen to me. So mm. 
it's astounding, right? I'm not looking for anybody's pity or whatever. This is many years ago, but right. uh, you know, you know, but that's that's life, you know. So you you know, it's olam uh, shalnisayon, and you go from there are moments of calm and there's moments of clarity and there's moments of simcha, and you have to embrace those too when they come because they are fleeting also. Uh, so you know, my response to your question is how to. So you know, that's a, a much bigger question, but I do think for many challenges, keeping perspective that it's a temporary challenge is important to, 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 to help. Thank you. Rabbi Cohn, um, in your book, Together Again, you offer a deep and raw understanding of human beings and understanding relationships. My father of blessed memory was an ordained rabbi, but though he was not a pulpit rabbi. Um, and he always sometimes, used to sometimes say that... Sometimes that's better. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he always used to say that the Torah was given to us to live, not to struggle or suffer, but to be able to live life to the fullest and enjoy life. And you communicate that message, too. Please share with us some excerpts from that book, uh, particularly because most people are challenged in the uh, relationship arena of their lives. Yes, I had a great privilege, really, uh, of during COVID at the beginning when we were kind of really apart from each other to really reflect and to think deeply about my nature, which is a social person, which is an, you know, an extrovert, which, you know, a lot of my life is built around communication and connecting. And, you know, there was some beauty to being, uh, you know, a break for a hiatus from that. But at the same time, there was a recognition how important all relationships are really. Uh, I am the type of person that gets energized from sitting with a person. I, I, there are days that I go through professionally where I don't interact with so many people at times. And there are days when I have a packed schedule like today. Right. So I, I can tell you that on the days when I go from call to call to meeting to meeting, I feel much better at the end of the day. That's just, that's my nature. That's the way I am built. Right. So I came to the, to the recognition kind of through my own experiences and then extrapolate, you know, not everybody's like me. I understand that, but we all have relationships, you know, it doesn't make a difference. You know, everybody is a child, you know, and I talk in the book even about relationship through memory. And even if the people that we care so deeply about and we had a deep relationship with are not physically here, they're still very much present and we can still have relationships with them, right? The concept of, of Yiskor, right? That, um, we'll use the example of a child and a parent, right? You you have you have demarcated points on the calendar. You have a yard site. You have these the festivals where you know, which is often a time when we were so connected to family. It's not it's not a coincidence that Chazal placed Yiskor within the framework of the Chagim, right? right you right. would think it's like not maybe we say Yiskor and Tishba, right? There's something to that. So, just thinking about. You know, the critical people in our lives, right? The book was entitled Together Again, Reimagining the Relationships that Anchor Our Lives. I've seen so frequently uh, lately this term reimagining. Everybody's reimagining everything. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. It's funny, like my first book, I entitled it, uh, We're Almost There, right? Uh, Living with Patience, Perseverance, and Purpose, which you referenced. And I didn't even think of it at the time, but then I noticed subsequent to the publishing of the book that my kids were always asking me, ah, but are we almost there? Are we almost there? Like, it, it's actually it's 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 fat it's cool to me that like wow like I had the siyad and the shmaya divine intervention to pick a title that's like it's so useful and now again I see the same thing that like everybody's reimagining everything reimagining this reimagining that so reimagining is kind of like a cool world it's it's a fun word but I do think that we can always be 
recreating, reimagining uh, the way we interact with those around us, right? It could mean work colleagues. It could mean, we talked a little bit about how we interact with social media and how we interact with people there. Right. Are those real relationships? Are those fake relationships? Are those, what are those? How do we relate? You know, there's a concept in Torah. There's Ben Adam, Ben Adam, there's Ben Adam, Atzmo, right? There's the inter, interplay between man and God, Makom, right. interplay between our fellow men, there's even interplay within ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. It's been explained that the idea of Kol Nidre, that we say at the beginning of Yom Kippurim, is actually a, a Ben Adam La'atzmo initiative. Like kind of you set the tone of the day by kind of taking stock of your own commitments to yourself and, and mm-hmm. to others. So my focus on relationships is really an expression of what makes me tick and the recognition that most people that struggle in life are struggling in some sort of a relationship. If you think about it, most of their joy comes through interacting with others. Right. I write the book about, um, this is very striking to me, you know, so our second child, our daughter was born about a year and a half after our eldest child who had Down syndrome. And I was particularly joyous because it was our first typical child. You know, you don't know you're going to have other children, healthy children, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And she was born on a Friday night, like at midnight. And I'm like walking through the streets of Yerushalayim and I have nobody to share this news with. Right? So it's like, did it, did it happen if I can't tell anybody? So I think that that is the dynamic that I'm getting at the book in the book, right? Like we, we need our own privacy. We have to interact with ourselves, but we also interact with others. And we want to do that in, in we want to show up for that. We want to do that in the best possible way that enhances our life experience. Rabbi Cohen, you have a podcast too. Please tell us about that and um, what motivated you to produce it. Podcasts are great. You know, everybody, <laughs> everybody nowadays, if you don't have a podcast, I'm a lover of podcasts. Like more people have and don't have these days. So it's interesting. My podcast is called the JPP, the Jewish Philanthropy Podcast. Uh, we've produced uh, 81 episodes so far over the last few years, which is great. We try to release an episode every other week, so twice a month. The focus of the podcast is on philanthropy. So philanthropy is a very broad term. It's basically people who give back to the world in whatever way they feel or find meaningful. So we interview- Paying it forward. Yeah, so we interview people who have just done fascinating things. We've interviewed extraordinarily wealthy people who give of their resources and their wisdom and their wealth. Uh, we've interviewed people that raise the money. We we do all different things that it's surrounding you know money on some level, but not but not necessarily. So I'm I'm part of what I do professionally is I'm in the fundraising space. I I raise money for a wonderful not for profit called Yachad, which services special needs children as part of the OU. I have also on occasion helped people raise money for for profit opportunities as well, in, in the realms of real estate or venture capital or, or things like that. So I have an affinity for uh, speaking to high net worth people and uh, helping people use their resources effectively uh, in concert with what their goals are. So this platform kind of created an opportunity for me to build a relationship, particularly during COVID when we couldn't meet with people. So that was kind of, you asked when it started, it kind of started, it started, it was twofold. It was A, I kind of thought, I, I, I always wanted to be like a radio personality. I thought that would be cool. So like have a microphone in front of you. So I thought that would be fun. So that's something that that kind of uh, intrigued me. And then uh, during COVID where it was a nice networking tool. And I see it primarily as a relationship. Uh, for me personally, as a, as, a, as a tool to build relationships with people 
that uh, you know maybe I otherwise wouldn't be able to connect with. And many of the, my guests I've been able to maintain relationships with and, and deepen relationships with, which has been kind of super cool. And then on the other hand, just the feedback from 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 the listenership, you know, we've had about thirty thousand downloads, you know, over our tenure, which is is substantial. You know, not the biggest podcast in the world, certainly not the smallest one. And just the feedback that you get from people that they find it meaningful, that they're inspired by it. So all that makes it worthwhile. It's it's a labor of love, you know, as I'm sure yours is too. Uh, so it's it's it is ta- it is challenging at times to kind of prioritize it over things that kind of have to get done. But I do feel a sense of uh, responsibility, so I try to do what I can to continue to put out episodes and put out content and uh, i'm optimistic you know for the future in terms of uh, what it can do i'll I'll acknowledge that with so many podcasts now it's like it's challenging really i I think it's like overwhelming the amount of content that people are putting out there's a lot of overlap and i think i'm a little bit in a niche space i don't think in the jewish world there's so many people doing what i'm doing which is kind of cool but i definitely also i'm a fan of many other podcasts uh that are doing great things that i that i definitely gain from also Rabbi Cohen, how can people get a hold of your books? Uh, so my books, so it's interesting. They were in, you know, my newest book was in the store, but they sold out very quickly. It happens to be that right now, as we're speaking, uh, the Why Farm sale is going, is going on. So both of my books are available at the Why Farm sale. Um, you can get them on Amazon, and you can also get them directly from me. You can go to my website, RabbiDovidMCohen.com. I happen to be there. A lot of Rabbi David Cohen's, a lot of famous Rabbi yes. David Cohen's. I like to use my middle initial M just to differentiate. Ah, okay. which oh, that's David very important to mention. Have. Yes. <laughs> so you can reach me on my website. I, I welcome uh, people that want to that want to connect, that want to talk, that want to explore how we could collaborate or work together. And you can you can order my book directly through me. I have in my garage a stockpile of uh, fresh books. One of them is you know my second book is really relatively brand new. We're still within the first six months of it uh, you know being in print. So I welcome opportunities to come to people's communities, to speak, to share, to work with you one-on-one. So uh, yeah, I, I love I love when people take the time to, they're, they're short reads, they're not overwhelming reads. I know I'm a big reader myself, I'm always reading something and, and I, I think, uh, you know, I, I feel good about uh, people gaining and gleaning meaningful insight from them and, uh, you know, uh, they're affordable and uh if somebody can't afford the book, I'm happy to, you know, get them a copy gratis. It's just, it's important that people, you oh, know. be careful when you say that. <laughs> no, I people, I, honestly, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not in this particular uh, chalik of my life to make money. I'm in it to, to impact people. There are other chalakim of life where, you know, I, I do make money, but this is not, not one of them. So I'm happy to, you know, to, to get it out there in any way I can. Rabbi Cohn, thank you for joining us today and inspiring us on the definitive rap. Thank you to Vinus and to our audience for tuning in. Bela, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity, for the platform. And I want to wish you a lot of Hatzlacha, a lot of success in, in all of your endeavors and continuing to share meaningful content to the Amen. world at large. Amen. And to you as well. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Rap with your host, Bela Seabrow. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can catch The Definitive Rap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Rap.